the Bible teaches about the, the way that we should interact with the world isn't as the heroes of our own story. Uh, we believe that Jesus is the hero of the story and that frees us up to be able to uh, come alongside others and help them become all that they were created to be. Uh, because we're not worried of, about, about getting our own glory, we're worried about giving the glory to God, and we know that he gives us joy as we exchange that, we're free to actually serve people and come alongside people and move towards people, not in competition, but in honor and in respect. Um, and and we've, we're in a series over the last few weeks where we want to say as followers of Christ and as a church, we don't want to be polarized. We don't want to follow the ways of culture. We don't want to follow the ways of the world. We want to be centered on the way of Jesus and accept the invitation of what it means uh, to live the way he said was possible to live. And that was a way of honor and respect and love and joy and service. And so, and so we want to do that. So I think the story of Ananias is going gonna, is gonna to teach us this one simple truth, is that great moves of God start with small responses of faith. Great moves of God start with small responses of faith. And Ananias is, is someone that came alongside in the story of a man named Saul. Saul is, is the one who later becomes Paul and, and is responsible for many of the books of the New Testament, but also many of the churches that were formed in cities at the, in the first century. Much of the, the, the move of, of God and much of the move, the spread of Christianity in the first century was due to this man named Paul, and Paul had a story, just like we all have stories. And his, first, his name used to be Saul before he changed it to have a, to, to, for his ministry to the Greeks. But he, his name was Saul, and Saul was a bad dude. And Saul was tough. He, he was actually probably you know, one of the top five uh, leaders in the Jewish church at the time. And he, was, and he was sent by the high priest to go from Jerusalem up to Damascus, which, Paul, which Saul is actually from Damascus. And so he sent him, it's about 150 miles north of Jerusalem, sent him on this journey, and they were essentially to go arrest any Christian that, they, that he found, and ultimately what, what that led to was their eventual death. And so there was a stigma around Saul, man, if he was coming to the city, we all knew what we were doing. We were getting the heck out of there, man. We were like, let's go. We want to survive. We don't want him to kill us. We don't want, it. We don't want to die. Um, but so many of the, the Christians would have scattered at the time, except for one man named Ananias. And that's the story we are going to read today. Verse 10, Acts chapter 9, says this. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. 
But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his Strength. So Saul is on this road to Damascus, and Jesus meets him on the road, and he is such a life-changing experience for him, it knocks him blind. Praise the Lord, right? How about that for an awesome day on the road? Like, you think your road trip was bad? You know, 95 South, sometimes in Connecticut, knocks me blind. But this guy, this guy had such a real experience with Jesus that it just knocks him blind. And, and Ananias comes. He's going to help him take a next step towards And so today, I just want to talk through four small acts um, of how we can see great moves of God happen if we just would respond in faith. And so the first thing Ananias does, if you want to become an Ananias today, is he follows Jesus. The Bible says that he is a believer, or the word disciple. Um, in, the Greek, in the Greek, it's methetes, and the Hebrew is talmudim. And it means to de- the desire and devotion to become like Jesus. It actually was a, a very a common first century word, it became, like they would want to become just like their rabbi. They, they wanted to do things just like him. They wanted to eat like him, sleep like him, live like him, go to the bathroom. When he went to the bathroom, they had all these sorts of things. They wanted to become just like Jesus. And here's the thing is that we're all disciples of somebody or something. We're all, we all are discipled by someone or something. And it's whatever our desire and devotion are actually being poured into. So for you, I want you to take a small evaluation and say, what is my desires wrapped up into? What is my devotion wrapped up into? Because that's ultimately what is discipling you. It's shaping your mind. It's shaping your heart. It's actually dictating what you should do with your hands. It's moving you in a certain direction. And for for disciples, it's the, the person that's behind all of that is Jesus. We, we take all of the realms of our life and we beg for direction by, for him, from him. And so for, for, for Ananias, this was the centerpiece of his life. He was a believer. He was a follower of Christ. His desire and his devotion, all the realms of his life were wrapped around the person of Christ, you know, it's, it's everything from money to relationships to how do I do work, how do I do work, and how do I engage with the world, and how do I serve, and and all these questions we're asking how Jesus would do them and how He would do them here today, and so we, disciples are are important, but but all of us are being discipled, all of us are being shaped by something by someone, for many of us, it's the New England Patriots, right? We love, that's an easy one, right? Like, we can be shaped by them. It's not hard to do that. If you're a Lions fan, kind of tough, right? Because you're still waiting for that thing. I'm glad that we're going to shrink the, uh, the, the amount of days that we've been in a championship series by 100, you know, it's only been 100 days. My word, we need to win another championship here in New England. 
But, but for many of us, or it could be this concept of success, right? It's going to shape your desires. I need more money in the account, or I, my devotion is to work so that I can continue to see my, my status elevated. Or for you, it might, might be your kids, and your kids need to get a certain grade and go to a certain school, and it's tying your desires and your devotions. You're being discipled by the culture that way. But for Ananias, it was Jesus. He was a follower of Christ. And everything was tied around him, his desire and his devotion. And so you, the first step you have to take is say, okay, what is my life revolving around? Colossians says it this way. It says, it says that everything is being held together by Jesus. And so if you have a realm of your life that isn't in Christ, isn't being held together by Christ, then it's being held together by you. In fact, the more and more you are discipled by Christ, the more and more you take a step towards him, the more and more you're shaped by him, the more and more the things, uh, will, the more and more things will begin to fall off your plate. Many times we read the New Testament like a checklist and a to-do list, but really it's a guide. It's saying as you're shaped by Christ, these things will fall away from your life and these things will be put on in your life. These things will begin to be seen. They'll be the fruit. It'll be overflowing in your life if you start here becoming a disciple of Christ and you're like well I'm a disciple of Christ I believe in him but are your desires and devotion wrapped up in him because that's when you begin to see things start to shift and change and so Ananias was a follower of Christ the second small act for Ananias was that he listened to God's voice he listened to God's voice it's just literally says like God spoke to him God spoke to him and he says I want you to go visit a man named Saul what I love about this is that he's, it's so detailed, right? It's like, I want you to go on straight street and then you're gonna take a right, you know, by the old, you know, by the old tree that so-and-so knocked down, right? I'm, gonna, I'm giving Rhode Island directions. Take a left by the Dunkin' Donuts and then another left at the other Dunkin' Donuts and then go to the other, yeah, go to the Almax. Yeah, that's right, where, where Job Lot used to be over there. And then, and then you might, you know, it's a, and it's a, that's how God works sometimes for some people. But guess what? He's never worked like that for me, right? So I read the story and I'm like, why God? Why? But, but here's the thing is he begins to give him direction. But the question is this, like, what if Ananias didn't have built into his rhythms of life this concept of hearing God, of praying, of listening for him, of, of like literally getting direction from him. Like what if built into his life, there was no way to like sit and sit in your chair time and be, be there just listening for what he might say. You know, sometimes just to practice this, I'll be in my chair time and I'll, I'll just throw out a question. Hey God, what do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about this concept going on? Can you tell me what you feel like you might, and he, you know, he'll point me to directions and point me to thoughts in, in his word that will shape that. And it's this relationship that you have with him. It's this conversation that you can have, but because deeply seated in Ananias' heart was that his life was being directed by God and that if he would follow God, that he would absolutely be led to joy and he'd be led to the, to the, the life that he was created to live. Like center to his life was this thing, hey God, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? And how often do we as followers of Christ submit things to, to him for his blessing, but we never ask him what he thought about it? Like, here's my plans, God. Can you just give me your stamp of approval so that I can go ahead and live my life? It'll make me feel better. But not Ananias. He was sitting there in his prayer time and he was directed by him and was moved by him. 
and began to make those steps. And so we listened to God's voice. And not all the time is it really clear. It's never like, hey, uh, go to Straight Street and then go to the house of Judas. You're gonna find a man named Saul. He's actually praying right now. If you go right now, you'll be able to like blow his mind and, and engage him that way. Like really engage this sort of thing. It's, it's not like that all the time, but sometimes it is. And what we have to do is ask for the Lord's direction and build into the rhythms of our life this concept of listening to God. Just listen to him. How often do you tell your kids, would you listen to me right now? Or would you do this right now? I'm trying to help you live. And yet often built into our rhythms is no place of listening for what God might have you do next. Hey God, what's my role? What's my assignment? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to work on? God, would you direct me in this? So he's got to listen. You've got to listen to God's voice. Another small act, not only does he follow Jesus and it believe, it believes in, he believes in him, but he sits and he actually engages in relationship with him in a conversation and listens to him. And, and he begins to understand that all moments are, are brimming with redemptive potential. And so he begins to prepare to obey. He prepares to obey. And what I love about Ananias, this is like one of the most human moments in the entire Bible because Jesus is like, hey, Ananias, I want you to go visit a man named Saul. He goes, yeah, I know Saul. Yeah, Saul, uh, bad dude, bad dude. Don't want to talk to him. But uh, he goes, I want you to go there and I actually want you to talk to him. He's like, wait a second. He's like, this guy kills Christians. He goes, I'm a Christian. I'm a prime candidate to be his next victim. And I just love about Ananias. He just goes, time out. Wait a second. You want me to do what? Because that guy, that, like any time Christians engage with, like I know the story of Stephen in Acts chapter seven. Like I know what happens to Christians that come underneath this guy's, like, uh, like, like his, overall, his overall wrath. Like I understand the outcome. It's not good for me to do that. And so he asks a question. And many times I think when we're interacting with the Bible, we don't think questions are on the table. Like we just don't think, and many times we're responding to like maybe a parent or some sort of authority figure that said to you and you're one of your, at some point in your life, would you shut up and not ask any questions and do what you're told? And many times we come up into our relationship with God in the same way. We, we will pray underneath that interaction and all throughout the Bible, are people who hold deep-seated doubt and have major questions about what God would have them do next. Ananias is one of them. He goes, wait a second. But you know what Ananias has, what I love about this, is he's got a leaning forward towards obedience. He, he's actually saying, okay, I want to obey you, God. I need some next steps. He, I, I want to do what you're asking me to do. I want to do what you're saying. I want to obey you. But what I need you to do is just let me lean in on something. And he, you can tell he's getting ready to obey, but he just needs some clarity on it. You can tell uh, that in, even in your own life where, where maybe like you're saying, okay, God, I want to do what you're asking, but I need like one step ahead. And, 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 and maybe that step is simply trust me first, or maybe it's just worship me for a time, or then after that, I'm going to give you a step of direction, and I'm going to give you another step, and then I'm going to give you another step. 
but you can see this like Ananias believes this because he believes, just like we all believe, that everyone is built and created with the image of God, that, that every moment of our life is brimming with redemptive potential, that if we've been changed by God, like we literally can walk into any waiting room, any restaurant, any uh, grocery store, and we're beginning to see heaven and earth meet, that if we would engage it as a follower of Christ, we could see a whole new way of life burst forth right there in the midst of the most mundane situations. And the reason we know this is because the story of the Bible is wrapped up in the most simplest and mundane experiences of eating and talking with each other and relating with each other and walking and working, like all of this, the life of Christ is just beaming and glowing in the midst of it. And he believes this. So he wants to lean in towards it. He wants to engage this. But here's the major question. Here's the, like, what of a mind-blowing concept and thought is, what if Ananias said, Nah, too scary. You're the sovereign God of the, of the world. You'll find somebody else. You know, I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know this, that if many people say no, our region will change. Our region will not engage the same way. If an entire the Christian world, an entire region of the, of the country, if they, all the Christians were just saying, oh, I'm too busy, or no, I don't even listen to God's voice, or no, I don't even engage in this way, what would it look like if, what would it look like if we just did not engage with God that way? No. Because here's what God's going to do. He's going, all right, Ananias, I'm going to go. And he goes, no, 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 thanks. I'm good. I'll just, you know, I'll stay here. All right, you just imagine that awkwardness. Like, okay. Go to the next person, you know, and then maybe they're not even listening because they're too built, they're too busy doing their own thing. Okay, I'm going to go to my next thing. What if we had an entire church that would start their day asking God for a whisper of a name or the whisper of a face or the whisper of a place that we could go to and say, and say, God, would you begin to shape me so that I can go into the the realms of which you are, the realms of which you're working, and I can participate in what you're doing? that would completely change what we're doing. Just start the day by saying, God, you just give me your eyes for everybody I meet today. It'll wrap your desires and your devotions and your community, everything wrapped up into one simple concept, this honor and respect, a service, a joy, a love, a smile, a something that pours into someone else because we asked for a whisper. So Ananias, what he does, he follows Christ. He believes in him and starts to follow him and desires and devotion are all wrapped up into it. And then, and then he begins to listen to God's voice. It's not just a belief. It's not just a religion to him. It's an actual relationship. And then he wants to obey him. Like he wants to do the things that God is asking him to do. He leans in that way and he moves towards it that way. And so it begins to wrap up his obedience. But guess what? Ananias does, because it could all stop there. You can do everything we talked about in your prayer closet by yourself. You can do everything that we've talked about right now. But what does Ananias do? Fourth thing, he shows up. Ananias shows up, and I love this. He says, okay, I'm actually gonna put my obedience in a place because you actually haven't obeyed until you've acted. 
until you've actually moved somewhere, until you've actually, the desire to obey is one thing. Actually obeying is an activity that comes out of you. It moves from you. It gets you moving in a certain direction. You want to be an obedient person. You actually do something. And she shows up. And what does he say right away when he sees Paul? What does he call him? Brother. Can you imagine the shift that has to go in just one verse? I can just see Ananias walking down straight street. He goes, okay, God, you better get my back on this one because I left all my guns at home and I just I have no knives. I have no, nothing going on. You better get my back. You better get my back. And just, can you just imagine the shift and change in heart and mindset as he begins to engage with someone that he would have never engaged in. Maybe he had beliefs that stopped him from engaging and maybe he just had a stigma of the person. Here's the thing though. God, he sees the entire story where we might just see labels. Where we see a label, God sees the entire story of what that person can become. When we stop at labels, we are robbing that person of the potential story that could happen. And God wants to use us for, so we don't stop at labels. What we do is we see the person and the person always captures our hearts because we are becoming people like Christ and Christ leaves heaven, goes towards brokenness, towards death, towards sin so we can call out new life right here in the midst of this one. That's what he does. And he shows up. And when does he do when he shows up? How does he show up? He eats with him and he prays with him. He admonishes him and calls him brother. He makes him part of the family. And many times, I think Christians don't do this one. I don't think we show up well because we feel awkward. We kind of like the relational part of it, the emotional part of it really feels funny. And so we don't, we don't really like, we don't do this sort of stuff, but we think it has to be some sort of a majestic thing or whatever. But the most holiest of experiences that we might have in life aren't in these grandiose environments, but they're simply in meals. When you hear about people that go to other countries and have these one-on-one experiences and their whole life has changed, that's an Ananias-type moment because everything is different afterwards. Everything matters. So they show up. They show up. And and who is it that you need to show up for today? Who is it that you need to show up for in your life? And God's been saying, hey, go down straight street. Go to the house. Go talk to them. Call them brother. Eat with them. Pray with them. Engage them so that we can see new life in this region, new life in this culture, so that that person's life can be changed. Because if Paul isn't If if Saul doesn't become Paul, if Saul doesn't meet Ananias, maybe it happens, but but the whole New Testament, all these churches are at stake, and maybe there's someone in your life that simply because you, the Ananias, comes, things begin to change. That's what I love about first responders and those that have served in the military is that they have this mindset. They're just like, I want to go and I want to engage. I want to protect and I want to make sure everyone has this this thing that's that's just protected and served. I, I want everyone to have a certain type of life that feels free and that they can begin to do the things that they want to do. I want to do that. Sometimes they just want free college, but that's not, that's not everybody, right? They eventually want what's best for everybody because that's what they do. And, and, and know what, what's no better for that um, is, is to see the type of, cor- the, the, the correlating image of who Jesus is. 
It's like a real life flesh and blood type of illustration for what Christ did. And, and no, no one to say this better than the, person, than, uh, than the old preacher, Billy Graham. He, whenever he talked on Memorial Day, he would bring this correlation together. He would make sure that they'd understand that, that what we see in these people, what we see in these soldiers, what we see in these first responders really is the image of a God that we might not know what to call yet. And so uh, what I want to read is just a, an address that Billy would often share um, uh, when he would talk. And he says this, three weeks ago, I had the privilege of spending an afternoon with President Eisenhower at Gettysburg. He took me on a personally conducted tour of the battlefield of Gettysburg, explaining the strategy used by both the Confederate and Union forces. Both of my grandfathers fought at Gettysburg. This famous battlefield and hundreds of others like it has become hollowed soil where thousands of Americans have died to preserve freedom, prevent aggression, or keep intact the Union of American States. Some months ago, when President Eisenhower was touring the battlefield at Valley Forge and was being shown from one historic spot to another, he made this statement at the conclusion of the tour. This is where they got it for us. What did he mean? He meant that those men and thousands of others in all the wars that America has fought purchased by their blood the freedoms that we enjoy today in the land of the free and the home of the brave. That terse statement from the lips of our president has rung in my ears for many months. These battlefields of the world today are hollowed and holy to every American. And we pause to give them our highest honors, humbly realizing that sacred trust that these our war dead have handed to us. As we think of the selflessness and heroism of such fellows, we are reminded of the words of Jesus Christ who said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms we take so much for granted, the freedoms we so often trifle with were bought not by the gold of our millionaires, nor altogether the genius of our scientists, nor the sacrifices of the people at home, but primarily by the blood, sweat, and agony of those whose names on this day we honor, those who died that we might live." They found as have brave men of all ages that there are principles well worth dying for. Their noble, unselfish sacrifice is a silent, eloquent rebuke to the self-centeredness of this generation. Let those who want peace at any price remember this day that thousands have died for honor and freedom and that what we, ha- and, and that what we have today has come at the price of shed blood." As I stood in the hospital quarter of the Danish ship Jutlandia in Korean waters by an American boy scarcely 20 years of age and watched helplessly as this young life ebbed away, I thought, what, a right, what right have thousands of pleasure-seeking Americans to go on living when this lad in the early flower of youth has to die? And in that moment, the fact dawned on me that if he had to die for America, some of us must live for America. Sometimes it is far more difficult to live than it is to die. They have handed us a torch and we have responsibility to see that they have not died in vain. Even though the sacrifices of our war dead have been great, yet the greatest sacrifice of all time was made by a man on a cross who died not only physically, but spiritually that men might live. We have neglected him too long. 
We have rejected his plan for peace, and as a result, we have fought, bled, and died for centuries. I challenge the world at this hour to accept his program of heart regeneration that can transform the society in which we live, and that we can know the meaning of genuine peace in our time. My mind goes back 2,000 years to another battle, which was fought on a hill called Calvary. It was a battle of one young man against all the forces of evil. It seemed like a futile, hopeless struggle as Jesus Christ took on Satan's task force single-handed. The jeers of the rabble, the spittle of the soldiers, and the sneering of the people were incidental compared to the inner struggle that was taking place in his soul. But I watch him in fancy as one hand is stretched out toward God and the other toward rebellious man. And he makes the connection and says, it is finished. He got it for us. If we are to be strong spiritually, it will be through him. Thousands today are finding a fresh new meaning of life through him. And we are learning to say with confidence, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. And we can be We can best keep faith with those who have gone before by keeping faith with ourselves, with our highest ideals, and with God. And so we have this moment that really the the concept of, of Christ saving us, changing us, dying the death we should have died, but living the life that only he can let us live. And he's calling all of us to that. Whether that's for the first time or the first time in a long time. And he's asking you, would you see that your life is wrapped up in who Jesus is?